Let's bow once more as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God this morning. Father, we uh, do thank you for uh, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who gave himself uh, as that ultimate sacrifice uh, so that uh, we can now no longer be enemies but friends, uh, no longer uh, apart from your family but part of your family uh, because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, and his sacrifice alone. Uh, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness so that we can come into the presence of uh, the very throne room to be in your presence, the God who is holy. Uh, and so, Father, as we open up your word, which is timeless and true, uh, it can transform the, the most confused mind. It can soften the most hard heart. Uh, and so, Father, we ask that you would, through your spirit, uh, do a mighty work today uh, as we consider uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. That is not a misspeak. We are actually in chapter 2 now. And we're going to go through three verses today in our short time together. This uh, next section here will actually take us through um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and what I've done is I've uh, split it up into three different parts uh, as we take a look at the first part, which is from being spiritually dead to God to being made alive in Christ, as we'll take a look at next Sunday in verses 4 to 6, uh, and then as a testimony to God's grace and kindness as we finish out verses 7 through 10. And part of uh, uh, this section here, as we take a look at it, as we are on the heels of everything uh, pertaining to God's sovereign plan of salvation, uh, as we've considered uh, God's almighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, uh, is also the power that works mightily in uh, the lives of every believer, uh, bringing them uh, from being dead in their trespasses and sins to being made alive in Christ. Uh, and part of this may seem like it's out of place because we just talked about salvation and now we're kind of, uh, you know, looking at a subject that we would much rather not look at. Uh, but it is something that gives us a perspective because what Paul, as he wrote this letter to the saints in Ephesus, wanted to stress something that we need to have stressed in our own lives today is to know who we were apart from Christ to know where we have come from, uh, for us to better understand uh, the grace of God, to better understand his kindness, to better understand that salvation is God's work, not man's, that we cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try. Uh, we don't want to be saved uh, apart from God doing a mighty work and the Spirit coming in and beginning that work of regeneration and regenerating our minds towards spiritual things. Uh, and we'll see that um, unfold as we take uh, and look at this section uh, today. Uh, but these first three verses of chapter 2 give us a clear picture of man's sinfulness apart from God. Uh, and the reason why it's important for us to remember where we've come from uh, is because that will also affect how we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because there are many over the centuries and even in our current modern-day culture that have changed the gospel 
to make it something that, you know, basically you just need to be good or basically you need to do these five things and um, God will accept you. Uh, The thing is we need to understand who we were apart from God Uh, because this is how detrimental sin is uh, and, and so it will affect how we share the gospel. Because if we think we have the ability to save ourselves or to be good people, uh, you know, just in and of ourselves, then we don't really truly understand redemption. We don't understand salvation. We don't understand why Jesus had to be our substitute, uh, why Jesus had to come. Uh, and two, the other thing is, is that this also is a caution for us as believers to make sure that we don't digress back into some of those behaviors that we loved so much apart from Christ. Because the thing is, is we're not perfect. We still sin. Uh, We still have the uh, capacity to obey God or to disobey God. That doesn't change who we are in Christ because that legal transaction has taken place. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are bought and paid for. We belong to God. Uh, And the seal is there uh, until the day of redemption. All those things that we've looked at in chapter 1, bringing us to this point. But you need to understand who you were. You need to understand everyone else around you who does not know Christ. And so this will also help you have the power to evangelize, realizing that salvation belongs to God. That you are a bearer or an ambassador of the good news of Jesus Christ, but you cannot save anyone. God saves. Uh, And that's important things for us to understand and see. And so uh, without further ado, let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, And you'll notice here I spent uh, a considerable amount of time trying to be, uh, uh, I guess, maybe uh, a little bit more cohesive. Uh, We have five C's to take a look at today. Uh, And as I was finishing working on this sermon, I changed a couple of them because I found better words to to fit uh, the, the point of each of these sections. So the first thing that you were, apart from Christ, is a corpse. Now, you probably don't think of it that way, but spiritually, you were a corpse. There was no life in you. You were dead to God spiritually. Look what it says in verse 1. And you, speaking of the believers that are, he's writing this to, and you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins. Um, That Greek word there for dead is nekros, which literally translates a corpse. That's what you were spiritually apart from God. You were a corpse. And what are some things that characterize that corpse? You know, as we take a look at other scriptures outside of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, because you, you, you think and you look at maybe how you were apart from Christ before and say, well, you know what, I really wasn't all that dead, Pastor Bill. Yes, you were. It's plain and black and white. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, some of the things that characterize this comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, the natural person, which is everyone who is an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, everyone who is not a spiritual being that can see spiritual things, a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, apart from God, 
You are spiritually dead. You are a spiritual corpse. Everything pertaining to God and spirituality is something that you see as foolish apart from God. Now, some people are a little bit more adamant towards that and will say that, well, the Bible is just a book of fairy tales, that it is full of just, you know, some, you know, good information, but it's just a book. No, the Bible is the word of God. It's God's word and it is truth. And so God, as he looks at mankind, he says that the natural man cannot accept the spirit of God. See, that's why the Holy Spirit has to begin regenerating someone, because you're a corpse spiritually. There's no spiritual life there. You're dead. No life. No existence. John chapter 3 also sheds light on this in relation to what is characteristic of those that are dead. Um, It says in verses 19 and 20, uh, and this is the judgment. The light, which is speaking of Jesus Christ, has come into the world, which we just, you know, celebrated Christ's death, burial, and resurrection last Sunday. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20 goes on to say, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, part of what, you know, who we were apart from Christ in being a spiritual corpse is that we were evil individuals in comparison to the holy God of all. And see, what mankind does is that, well, they, they compare themselves to someone that's worse than they are and therefore can project a goodness in their life. Well, I'm better than this individual. And that may be a very truthful statement. But see, the thing is, God doesn't compare you to someone who's worse than you. God compares you to himself. And we know scripturally, as we took a look beginning uh, back in chapter 1, that God is holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's who you are compared to. So in comparison to the God who is Uh, has never sinned once in thought, word, or deed because he is holy, he is righteous, he is pure. That's who your comparison is. And when you compare yourself to our God who is spirit, we find out that we are spiritually dead because we're evil. We hate the light. That means we hate God. We hate Jesus Christ. That's why God needs to come in and, and reach into those hard hearts and perform spiritual surgery and give you a fleshly spiritual heart. Fleshly not in as the world fleshly, but fleshly as malleable. A rock's not malleable. You can hit it with a really hard hammer and make it shatter, but it's not flexible. It has no life in it. And see, that's what God does when he comes into our world. He turns it inside out, upside down. Something else that's characteristic of those who are dead or a spiritual corpse comes out of Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And I've quoted this many times in our, our previous times together. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, which that is everyone apart from God. 
Because either you're righteous or you're unrighteous. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground. You're one or the other. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. Either part of uh, you know, the light in God's kingdom or darkness in the kingdom of this world. You know, there's no middle ground. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And see, that's exactly what sinful man does. He suppresses the truth about God because he doesn't like the light because the light reveals him for who he is. He doesn't like God, does not desire to have a relationship with God because he is spiritually dead. He is a corpse. The thing is, is that mankind walks around this earth thinking that he is doing exactly what he should do. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's exactly who we are apart from Christ. And there are a lot of people walking this planet that believe they're doing what's right, even from a religious standpoint. They have good intentions. They've got, you know, conviction. But the problem is, is they've made a God of their own making. They have an idol of some sort that is not the true God. They see themselves as, well, I'm not fully spiritually dead. Uh, I'm kind of just, you know, teetering between life and death. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit more alive. Sometimes I'm a little bit more dead. But there's something there. No, there's not. And see, this is important for us to understand. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, apart from God coming in and intervening. See, a corpse does not respond to any stimuli. Because it's dead. And no matter how eloquently a, you know, uh, a verse is communicated or how eloquently you share the gospel, unless God is beginning a work in that heart, remember you're speaking to a spiritual corpse. Because that's who you were apart from Christ. It's God's work. He is the one that has to come in and produce spiritual life. See, a corpse doesn't have any senses that are operational. It cannot engage in any way. It's dead. Now, back in 1963, there was a uh, movie uh, that Alfred Hitchcock made called Charade. I don't know if anyone has ever seen it. Um, It's an all-star cast. It has Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn in it. The reason I bring that up is because there's a scene in there after these uh, buddies who served in the Army ended up, uh, you know, uh, finding a treasure, and they, they hid it, and we're going to go back after the war was over, dig it up, and then split it between uh, all of them. Well, one of them decided that he didn't want to wait until the war was over and went and got the treasure, dug it up for himself. Well, short order is in the very beginning of the movie, he ends up dead. I won't spoil the plot line so you don't know who actually uh, you know, uh, fixed his demise. It's Alfred Hitchcock. It, it'll be twisting from beginning to end. But the point is, is there's a scene in there where they're in the mortuary and the, the, you know, people are coming in and, and the guy who died, he, his wife is there and her best friend and the, the, the police uh, uh, man that is there as well, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, in dramatic you know, fashion, these men walk in that are his comrades that he you know, fought with and, and hid that treasure with. And each one had something you know, to show as far as their interaction with their dead fellow who is the only one that knows where the treasure is now. Uh, one of the guys comes in and takes a mirror and puts it under his nose to see if there's any breath coming out to fog up the mirror. 
Well, because he's a corpse, nothing's going to happen. Another guy comes in and does something a little bit more creepy. He pulls a pin out of his lapel and stabs him in the hand to see if there's any life there. And there's no response because it's a corpse. There's no life there. There's no stimuli that is going to affect any change because his body is dead. Okay, so just like that physically is how you are spiritually apart from God. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So trespasses and sins. Those two words are not speaking to two different ideas. They are actually two descriptions of the same thing. Uh, They are uh, the same biblical truth in relation to who we are apart from Christ. Trespasses comes from the Greek word paraptoma, which is a willful or intentional deviation from what is right or true. So think of it this way. You've seen a no trespassing sign before, right? Okay, what does that mean? That means if you cross over that sign, that line that has been marked no trespassing, then you have now officially broken uh, the law of the reason that sign is there. You've crossed over that line. You've gone from being on the right side of the line to the wrong side of the line. Now, what the consequences may be is you might get chewed up by a dog. You may find the police arriving at any moment. Um, Maybe nothing will happen, but nothing changes the fact that when you cross over that no trespassing sign, you have effectively done something that is wrong, something that is false. Well, the word sins is the Greek word harmatia, which is a most commonly used Greek word for sin in the New Testament. And it means it's a missing of the mark or falling short of the goal. You know, one easy way to, to, to identify that particular uh, Greek word here for sins is to remember Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've fallen short. You've missed the mark. And so our sins, as those who are dead in our trespasses and sins, speaks to two different things. It is an actual stepping over the line where you are a rebel, but also that you are a uh, sinner or a failure because you missed the mark. So that's what John Stott, as he considers this, says, before God, we are both rebels and failures. That's who you are apart from God. That is what the rest of the world apart from God is. This is their existence. This is what they live for. And see, when you think about that and you start to establish that in your own mind as someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ today, wow, does that make the grace of God that much more wonderful? His mercy that much more wonderful. It helps us see that only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only God can make us alive in Christ. Because this is who we are. We're a corpse spiritually. What Paul didn't stop there is he's, he's, he's building this case for uh, the believers here to see is that not only are they a corpse, a corpse in verse 1, but in the beginning of verse 2, they are also corrupt. Look at verse 2, the first part. It says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world. So in which you once walked. So he's talking to these believers. This is how you actually walked before you became a believer in Jesus Christ, before Jesus became your redeemer, your savior. 
You once walked as this individual, one who follows the course of the world. So this is how the two come together because, you know, we make the mistake of thinking that we're partially spiritually alive and therefore able to do something spiritually to appease God. Well, see, the thing is we're spiritually dead to God, but we're physically alive to sin. See, this is how the two mate together. This is how we need to, to, to see ourselves apart from Christ. This is how we need to see every believe, unbeliever in the world, is that they're spiritually dead to God, so it's only going to be an act of God that's going to come in there and do any change. But they're physically alive to be able to take part in everything that is sinful and in rebellion against God as a natural man full of evil, saying, I want nothing to do with God at all, suppressing that truth in unrighteousness. See, that's how the two come together. So there is life there, but it's a life that is physical in relation to the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the sinful flesh, not spiritually alive. And that's why we have to differentiate. In which you once walked. And the late Dr. John Gerstner um, it was uh, a uh, professor, um, and I like this, and for those that are into this particular culture, this will be a very good illustration for you to understand this. Okay, he likens this state to the horror genre of zombies. Okay, I don't have never watched a zombie movie, don't plan on it, doing it, but if you are, you know, are into that particular genre, this will help you understand. See, a zombie is a, uh, being a person who has physically died, yet they are able to still walk around. All right? And a zombie's body, because it's dead, is decaying and reeks of death. But yet it's still walking around. Well, see, this is exactly how God sees us. We are spiritual zombies. We're spiritually dead, but yet physically we're still walking around. Participating in everything that is in rebellion against God. We're rotting, decaying, reeking of sin. See, that's why we needed a Savior. Because something that is rotting, decaying, and reeking of sin cannot save itself. It has no desire to be saved. There's nothing it can do to save itself. Dr. Gerstner says, They are an offense to God's nostrils. These decaying spiritual corpses stink. I know that's kind of vivid imagery, but see, this is how we need to remember who we were. But also, too, as we share the gospel, we need to remember that's how everyone else is around us. We're not basically good people. Maybe in comparison to someone else, but in comparison to God, this is what we are. We are an offense to God's nostrils. We are decaying spiritual corpses that stink. Ouch. Truth hurts, doesn't it? But see, that's who you once were. See, God saved you out of that. He took that slavery to that, that reality away so that you could live for him and to realize what spiritual life is all about. In which you once walked following the course of the world. This reminded me of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Where it says, for all that, are, that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. 
But see, this is exactly what characterizes the world. That which you used to follow, that which what you used to be a part of. What the scripture talks about, the wide path to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life. See, the rest of mankind is, is, is you know, content fulfilling the desires of the sinful flesh, the desires of the, the lustful eyes, and the pride in every possession and the pride of life, and content to be there, apart from God intervening. And we vividly see this in Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And we're not going to turn there today. You're, you're most likely familiar with it. If not, read chapter 4 of the book of Matthew after the service today. But the desires of the flesh, that first aspect of the course of this world, was Satan's temptation of Jesus to turn the stones into bread. The desire of the eyes was Satan tempting Jesus, uh, saying that he could uh, give him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And third, pride in possessions or pride uh, of life was throwing himself off the pinnacle of the temple. See, Satan tempted Jesus in all three of those ways, all three of those aspects that are at the core of the course of this world. That's not a mistake. It's everything that Satan and this world represents. This is everything that the world apart from God represents. It is a rebellion against God in his ways. Giving him the glory, honoring him, loving him as the creator of all things, the giver of life. So apart from God, you are a corpse, you are corrupt, you are also captive. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, the second half, uh, or part B there. It says, following the prince of the power of the air. Well, who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan himself. So, if someone is following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, who is the, the, the first one who decided that he wanted to be God and was immediately under the judgment of God because he, he did not accept the fact that he was created. Instead, he wanted to be God himself. So everyone apart from God is following the prince of the power of the air. And everything that he represents, the entire world system, which is corrupt, which is the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions or life. So does that sound like someone who's good? Does that sound like someone who's spiritually or partially alive that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of life in there? No. Because you're a slave to that. You are bound to that. You are a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. Unbelievers are slaves to sin and therefore slaves to Satan and his kingdom. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So again, you see it. There's only two sides of that. Either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And apart from God, we are slaves to sin on that wide path towards destruction. Paul, in talking to uh, believers uh, later on in the book of Ephesians, when we get to chapter 6, which may seem a ways off, but we'll get there. 
Chapter uh, 6, verse 12, uh, in speaking about putting on the whole armor of God, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we're not wrestling against flesh and blood when it comes to our spiritual condition before God. We're, this is not a battle of, you know, who, who is stronger at taking over those who are weaker. It's not flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, who is that? That is the one who is the prince of the power of the air. Now, does Satan have all power and is he all powerful? Absolutely not. Let me say that again. Absolutely not. But he does have great influence. And he does deceive. Matter of fact, the scriptures say that he blinds men's minds. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, and even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, so in the case of those that they're sharing the gospel with, those that are a spiritual corpse, who are corrupt, who are held captive by the, the, the God of this world. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is because they are spiritually dead and everything that they love and enjoy are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions. Everything that pertains to this world and its construct. See, do you see how hopeless, how just overbearing to the point of, I'm without hope? Well, see, that's where Jesus comes in. Because we are not living as those who have no hope. Because we have a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 goes on also to say, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But know this, that God, his doom is sure. Satan has, as it were, a proverbial shelf life. Because he's already been judged. And he is awaiting the final fulfillment of that judgment. Because Jesus was victorious over death and sin and Satan when he died on the cross and was risen again on the third day. A corpse... Corrupt, a captive, but also carnal, which brings us to the end of verse 2 and um, the first two parts of verse 3. It says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, again, past tense, speaking to believers, saying this is who we were apart from, from Jesus, apart from salvation, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So everything that was part of who we were apart from God fulfilled those desires. Soul, mind, body, strength. That's what we lived for. We indulged the passions of the sinful flesh. We you know, sought anything that could give us instant gratification, whether it was as simple as, you know, as a two-year-old, being the one who won the toy from the other two-year-old. It just gets more complicated the older we get and the more hurt that it causes. But again, Ephesians chapter 4, 
shines light on this whole indulgence of the passions of the flesh uh, and carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Because in verses 17, 18, and 19 there in Ephesians 4, he says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So no longer walk as someone who is unregenerate, someone who is an unbeliever, someone who is a spiritual corpse, someone who is corrupt in all their ways, someone who is captive by the prince of the power of the air. Don't walk like them. In the futility of their minds. So in other words, their existence is futile. It's like a spiritual zombie. Their existence is futile. They're just walking around with no real purpose. Stinking like a rotting corpse. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, that's who we were apart from Christ. And every person you know around you, whether they are a family member, a co-worker, an acquaintance, this is who they are apart from Christ. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, man is not basically good. Man is totally corrupt, evil to his core, spiritually dead to God walking around this world physically partaking in every type of sin there is. Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul wrote a letter, his second letter to young Timothy, a pastor, He says this in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's an understatement. For people, now this is, listen to this. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, or good, or God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. See, that's a call to believers to make sure that you keep good company. Doesn't mean that you completely isolate yourself because we are called as ambassadors to live in this world, not to be of the world. But see, this is how people are. This is who you were. And the thing is, you need to guard yourself about, you know, from going back into some of these patterns and behaviors. Because sometimes, guess what? You love yourself more than you love God. Sometimes you love yourself more than you love your spouse. See, the thing is, we're still capable of sin. We're just no longer a slave to it. It's no longer what characterizes us. What characterizes us is that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And therefore, we should confess our sins to God. Because we are now lovers of God rather than lovers of self. A corpse, corrupt, captive, carnal, and finally common. Which brings us to the end of verse 3. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. 
First and foremost, wrath because the, the children of this world are acting out and doing all kinds of evil. So everything we just read in those two passages and many more we could turn to. But see, that's who we were apart from God. We were common just like the rest of mankind. But not only children of wrath as those who are acting out in evil, but also under the wrath of God, which is a horrible place to be, to be in the hands of Almighty God when you are a sinner in rebellion, spiritually dead, because the just God of all is going to judge justly and righteously. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, his son, as your savior, then your doom is sure as well. Romans 1.18, which I already read about God's wrath being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What God's wrath is, because we don't talk about it that much, but God's wrath is his, uh, or the execution of God's justice on sin. God has the right to exercise his wrath upon sin because we are the ones that rebelled against him. We chose to disobey. We chose to sin. God has the right to exercise his wrath, his holy wrath, his just wrath, which is exactly what it is because his wrath is is part of his character, part of who he is, and his wrath does not compromise any of his other attributes. Does God cease being a loving God when he is a wrathful God? Absolutely not. All of those attributes work together as one. And so when God's wrath is on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of mankind... He has the right to do so. We don't like to hear that. But see, he is the holy, holy, holy God of all. And his character, his righteousness, his holiness demands that justice prevail. You know how I know? And I've said this before. Look at the cross. That is the wrath of God coming down on his son so that you and I through faith and trust in him, will no longer be slaves to sin, no longer be spiritual corpses walking around physically fulfilling the desires of the sinful flesh, no longer corrupt, no longer those who are held captive by the prince of the power of the air, no longer those who are carnal, no longer those who are common like the rest of mankind. That's what Jesus came and did. He took God's wrath upon himself. And we see this in Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, or declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that is because Jesus took our place. He was our substitute. The wrath of God rested on Jesus Christ as he died on that cross. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, it takes us, I could go many places. I decided to keep it to Proverbs chapter 4. Oh, there's comment for you. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. 
Let me first talk to those that are not believers in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you thought that you were not so bad and maybe just good enough. Well, today you've heard from the word of God because this is not me making this up. This is me communicating God's truth to you. It's God's truth. And if God says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, who are you to say otherwise? The created does not tell the creator how things are. So if you're here today without Christ, today you have the opportunity to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, to no longer be a spiritual corpse. And for those that are believers here today, remember I told you this is a caution for us because in looking at our history, looking at who we were is important for us how we live right now and and how we will live tomorrow. We can't ignore that because just to ignore it opens ourselves up to all kinds of things that we may not want, welcome, or expect. So it's important for us to know who we were because that makes salvation that much more beautiful. It also helps us to know how we should communicate the gospel and not feel defeated and overcome just because someone, you know, rejects the glorious gospel good news. Because remember, this is who they are. It's who you were. But also, this is a call for us as we live the Christian life as well, which is why we go to Proverbs 4, 23 and following. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. It's very simple. Do you notice all those things? Keep your heart. Put away from you. Look directly forward. Ponder the path of your feet. Do not swerve. Turn your foot away. All actions that will help guard you in your walk. Because the thing is, sin and temptation are real, even for believers in Jesus Christ. Do not be fooled into thinking that just because you have trusted Christ and that you have the righteousness of Christ, that you are exempt from sinning. Because you're not. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is for believers. We confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can walk and talk with God so nothing hinders our walk with him. And so believers here today, remember who you were. It's important. Our history is important because it will affect how you live now and in the the days to come, which we know as we looked at those passages that in the last days, difficult times will come. Well, the difficult times have always existed. And we're living in a difficult time. But Jesus is coming back soon. So live like it. Guard yourself. Make sure that you're not fulfilling the desires of the sinful flesh, the desires of the eyes, or having pride in possessions or life. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer.
Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for these truths today. Lord, they were heavy truths, heart-piercing truths, but truths nonetheless. So, Father, help us know why uh, you uh, inspired Paul to write this to the, the saints that are in Ephesus. These are believers in Jesus Christ. Why was it important for them to know where, where they came from? Well, it's so that we can be guarded by your spirit to live as upright believers in our modern day. Because there is a lot of falsehood, there's a lot of lies, there are all kinds of things that are you know, characteristic of this fallen world all around us. There has always been since the beginning of time. And each generation may look and say, well, our generation is worse than the, the, the last. Well, we didn't live in that generation, we don't know, but we know the generation in which we live. And we know the truth because you've given it to us in your word. So may it be part of who we are today. May we not strive in, in, or try to stand in our own strength, but may we strive and stand in your strength today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.